Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to the house of the Lord as we come to worship God together. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together.
How can it be the one who died has borne our sins through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing, alleluia. For joy awakes the dawning light when Christ's disciples lift their eyes. Singing, blessing, and honor. 
There will come a day, standing face to face, in a moment we'll be like Him. He will wipe our eyes dry, take us up to His side, and forever Father, this morning we sing blessing and honor and glory and power to you. We worship you. We've come today to focus our attention on you. And we pray that you will help us to know your spirit with us. Thank you for the privilege of coming together today. And we ask that you will indeed be glorified in all that we do in this time together. And we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. There are some inserts in your bulletin this morning uh, about some ways that you can be involved in ministry. Uh, One of them is about the nursery, and this is for uh, working in the nursery May through September. This is due first thing tomorrow morning, so you can, uh, if if you've already filled it out, you can drop it in the offering plate. Otherwise, you can leave it on the desk in the the offices or hand it to one of the ushers or a pastor this morning. We'll make sure it gets uh, to the people who are making the schedule, but just note that needs to be in first thing tomorrow morning. There's also an insert about working in children's church during May and September, and you see information about that on the insert. And also, you can actually sign up this morning on a table in the back for specific days, and I want to encourage you to do that. Thank you to those of you who work with our children. It is a very important part of who we are as a church. And uh, we love our children, and we want to help them know God and learn about God. And this is one way we do that. And the other insert is about the 30-hour famine that the youth group is doing this coming weekend. And it's not too late to help them uh, by supporting them. And the money's going to World Vision and the ministry that they do. And you see that insert as well. And you can uh, contact Pastor John uh, either through by phone or through email. Talk with him this morning uh, about how to support students. There are a number of other announcements in the bulletin. Uh, This coming Monday, uh, a week from tomorrow, we are uh, again having a prayer vigil for praying for our graduates, our college and high school graduates. And it's going to be 36 hours beginning next Monday at 6 a.m., ending on Tuesday at 6 p.m. 
You can sign up for our slots in the prayer room. And uh, you see information in the bulletin about that. And I encourage you, you can go online anytime and begin signing up to do that. We want to cover our graduates with our prayers. And uh, there will be a board in the prayer room with the names of all the graduates, uh, college and high school. And uh, give you a chance to pray for them. We appreciate your, uh, your help in supporting them. You also see uh, that there are... Um, Ballots posted around the church of our upcoming election, and uh, if you have, um, please be in prayer about that. If you would uh, would like to uh, to nominate someone else to be on the ballot, you can uh, do that by contacting the church office by Wednesday. And also, there are budgets available in the back. Feel free to take those. These are matters of prayer as we move toward our elections and our uh, vision meeting on the 18th of May. Uh, you may have also at times wondered in your wondered to yourself, um, I'd love to hear a sermon about. Well, you have the opportunity to do that. This coming fall, uh, we're going to be uh, doing a series of sermons about questions that you have. Uh, things that you think, I, I've always wanted to hear that addressed in a sermon, or that's a question that I've wondered about. And um, so there are colored three by five cards in the pew racks, card rack in front of you. And uh, for the next couple of weeks... Uh, we're going to be collecting these. If you have a question today, fill it out. There's a basket in the back. You can drop it in there. You can send them by email. Uh, drop us a note. Uh, once we get all the questions, we'll compile them into probably there'll be some themes that emerge from that. But we would love your feedback and uh, to get the questions that you would like to, to have answered at least as much as possible, right? Um, so encourage you. Take a moment. uh, Think about it. Uh, Maybe there's some things right on the top of your head. You want to write them down today. Awesome. Uh, But we want to get your questions that uh, those sermons will answer. So we encourage you to fill that out. Uh, There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. And uh, we want to continue to pray about things related to us right here as well as things around the world. And we ask for God's grace in each situation. I invite you to stand for this morning's first scripture reading. I'm reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. 
Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I invite the ushers to come forward to assist us in our giving of tithes and offerings. You may be seated.
Spend a few moments praying together. It's been a practice for a while of opening the altar rail. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, come and join me. Most holy God, we come today acknowledging who you are and what you've done. We come to worship you, to give you all honor and glory and praise. And we come in this moment of prayer because in this shaken world we seek the stability that you alone can bring. In this noisy world, we need inner peace. In this world that is so wrought with fear, we need courage. In a world of falling and rising empires, we crave a vision of your eternal kingdom. Father, we pray for your peace in this world. We ask that you would hold back the forces and systems of evil that seem so prevalent. We pray that you would bring encouragement to every person who is working for justice and good. We pray this especially for all who are in positions of leadership in the world. Starting with those who lead this nation and the nations that we represent. We ask for your mercy upon them. We pray, Father, for your church in the world. We pray that you will unite your people where there are threats of division. Lead your people to the truths of your word. Protect your church from attacks inside and out. We think especially this morning of our brothers and sisters in Somalia. This country that is one of the worst in persecuting Christians. We pray that you would give to our brothers and sisters strength and grace in the midst of great difficulty that most of us know little, if anything, about. We pray that you will bring encouragement to them. We pray that you will... You will ease the opposition. And we pray that you will, you will help them to see that you are at work. Even when it appears that the evil one is so strong. We pray, Father, that you will bring a breakthrough in this country of your spirit. 
that there would be more and more people who open their lives and their hearts to you to bring about transformation among these people that you deeply love. Father, we pray that you will make us a church that is committed to love you and to love one another. Give us your vision, your wisdom, your your spirit of generosity and grace that we will continually bear witness to Christ in this place. In this place, we ask that you would heal our diseases, comfort our grieving souls, make us known as people who forgive one another and who care for one another. We pray that you would fill our minds with your truth, our hearts with your love, our souls with your spirit. Father, thank you for your presence here with us today. We pray all of our prayers in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the reading of the scripture, children ages 2 through 4 are dismissed for Children's Church. I invite you to stand again for our second scripture reading. Reading from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Filled with wonder, 
Father, we want to be struck with awe and wonder at who you are. We pray that your word will speak truth into our hearts and lives as we continue in worship and we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As we have um, talked before, the Easter celebration is not just one day, but in the, uh, in the ancient tradition of the church, Easter is a season. It begins on Easter Day and it goes for 50 days because it, it's such a great momentous event, you can't limit it to one day. And in fact, the church said that every Sunday is a mini Easter as we celebrate anew the the resurrection of Christ. And as we think about Easter, we think about resurrection, it's, it's not uncommon for our minds to move naturally to heaven. And we we have all kinds of views and ideas about heaven. People, even people who are not Christians, think about heaven. Now people may deny its existence. People may say this is all there is, and then there are people who have all kinds of theories about heaven. And, and you see this coming out in a variety of ways. You know, you, you see it coming out in, in things, in, in movies, and books. Of course, right now, Heaven is for Real is a, is a popular movie, actually based on the experiences of a Wesleyan pastor and his little boy. And, and people are, are talking about it. They agree or disagree, but they're thinking about it. And we have this mindset about what heaven will be like. And, and we get these ideas in our minds. And, and sometimes they seem appropriate and sometimes they don't. I think for some people, heaven is sort of like Dorothy's song in The Wizard of Oz. Somewhere out there in the sky, you know, there's a place that, like a lullaby I heard about once. And, and it's somewhere out in the blue. And, and you know, it, it's, just, it's this image that we try to create. And, and 
We have so many perspectives about it, and usually our perspectives are about us. And you get all these varieties of opinion. Even among Christians, you're going to get a variety of opinions about heaven. And the reason we struggle so much to understand it is because we don't know that much about it. We don't get that many glimpses into heaven, which is what makes John's revelation so interesting and fascinating for us. Now, a number of months ago, we were talking about doors. And we were talking about various doors in the Bible, beginning with Cain and sin lurking at the door of his heart and moving through Jesus, talking about the, the door, the narrow door that leads to eternal life. And we talked about Paul's open door to ministry. And, and there is one more door that I want to talk about this morning that comes at the end of the scriptures. At the beginning of chapter 4, John says in this revelation, I looked before me and there was a door standing open to heaven. And I looked and what I saw was amazing. And when you read these, when you read what John sees there, we kind of scratch our heads and say, what exactly did he see? He talks about thrones, he talks about animals, he talks about uh, he talks about the, these uh, winged beings that have eyes all over them. He talks about things that, that I think he finds very difficult to describe. Sometimes I wonder, well, if he's describing things far into the future, of course it's hard to describe. How would John in the first century describe something like a tank or a fighter jet or a car? How, how would he describe the things in our lives that are commonplace, that we take for granted, that his culture can't even begin to imagine? I think that's why so often when you read Revelation, one of the commonly repeated phrases is, it looked like, because that's the best I can do. It looked, yeah, he's always trying to relate it to his own context, his own understanding, and and. And that's the best he can do. And what does John see? What is he? What comes to him in these incredible images that he finds difficult to describe? Well, at the heart of it is worship. At the heart of everything John sees is this explosion of worship. Forty-six times in this revelation... John mentions the word throne. And here, even in this fourth chapter, a number of times he talks about the throne and God sitting on the throne. And what are people doing? They are worshiping him. People on the throne are, are laying their crowns at his feet. All the things that they have earned from being a follower of Christ, they're his. All of this existence is about worshiping God. But it's not just about worshiping God who is the great one. It is about worshiping Christ. He says that the one who sits on the throne has in his hand a scroll. There are a number of theories about what this scroll represents. But I think, and I think the majority of people view this as well, that the scroll represents all of God's plans and purposes for the world. 
It represents the consummation of everything God has planned for all that he has made. It's in the scroll. And, and in this scroll is the release of, as we will see in the, as the revelation goes along, it is the release of judgment and it is the release of, of all the fullness of his goodness coming to fruition. And John says, I looked at that scroll and there was no one worthy to open it. The saving plans and purposes of God are right there, but they cannot be opened. And the destiny of the world is lost. And John says he begins to weep because no one can open the scroll. And one of the elders comes to him and says, hey, don't weep. There's someone who can open the scroll. The Lion of Judah can open the scroll. What's fascinating is that when the Lion of Judah appears, he's not a lion at all. He's a lamb. John says he's a lamb who looked as though he had been slain. And the lamb takes the scroll and he opens the scroll. And all the purposes of God for his world come to fruition. And ultimately, those purposes are the salvation of our souls. You and I have hope in this world because the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. And John moved from weeping to rejoicing. And everyone worships the lamb. See, the one who is the lion has the right to devour his opponents, but instead he surrenders himself to be devoured. The lion who has has the right to exert his power in the world instead submits himself in our place and makes salvation possible. And the response to what Christ has done is worship. And we look at that and we think, well, what's the big deal about worshiping God? Is God so insecure that we have to come to him and we have to worship him? That that there's some need in God that, that only our worship can fulfill? Not at all. The reality of worship is that actually it's more for us than it is for God. Because when we come to God in worship, we begin to experience what God designed for us as his loved created beings. When we come to worship God, we are opening our lives to God. We're surrendering to God so that we can receive the fullness of his love in our lives. Worship is not meeting some some insecurity in God. Worship is allowing God to fill us with the fullness of who he is. To experience the depths of his love and his saving grace. That's why we worship. We worship because we are saying, we need God. All the things that we do in this life, all the things that we do in this world are empty and void unless they are focused toward God. You see, we come to this table today because this table is really about worship. 
This table is about coming to God and worshiping him. It is looking back to what God has done in Christ, in the saving grace of Christ on the cross. But it is also looking forward to that moment when, when God, all of God's plans will be fulfilled. All of his purposes will be fulfilled. And we will experience the fullness of God. And knowing what Christ has done and knowing what Christ we will experience brings us to this table to receive his grace and to worship him. See, heaven is about worship because heaven is about God. One of the things that you find in culture is that when people think about heaven without a relationship with God, it always comes back to heaven's about me. Heaven's about what I want to experience. Heaven's about what I'm going to get. Heaven is about me. And John's revelation makes it very clear. Heaven is about God. Heaven is about worshiping God. And what we do there is simply the result of the passion and the desire of our hearts and what we do now. That's what I love about Lewis when he writes in The Great Divorce. You know, he talks about how these, these people who are in hell are given the opportunity to visit heaven. And after visiting heaven are actually given the opportunity to stay there. And none of them want to. Because heaven offers nothing to them that they want. Their lives are wrapped up in self. Their lives are wrapped up in in grabbing, in grasping, in getting. And the kingdom of God is about surrender and sacrifice and giving and loving. In fact, for most of the people, what they experience and see in heaven makes them ill. Because there's nothing in their spirit that they want from that. And you and I are preparing ourselves now for what we will experience then. We don't, we're not going to all of a sudden get to heaven and say, oh, all right, I'll start thinking about God. I'll start worshiping God. I'll start focusing my life on God. What, we're, what we will do then is simply the result of the passion and the desire of our hearts now. In a sense, we are rehearsing now for what our eternal lives will be then. And this table calls us to not just what we're going to experience then, but what we're going to experience then bears on how we live now. And it calls us to a life of worship now. To a passion, a desire for Christ now. One of the things that intrigues me about this vision is that in in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, John says, "I, I looked and I saw the Lamb who was slain for every tribe and nation and people and tongue. And you get to chapter 7, and John says, in that place, he again talks about people from every tribe and nation and, and tongue. And, and, and he says, I saw them there. 
And it fascinates me that when John looks at, at what heaven is like, he, he can distinguish people from different nations, people speaking different languages, people coming from different cultures. Sometimes we, I think we, we envision heaven as we're all just going to be the same. Typically, we're all going to look like us. Whatever, however we view ourselves, that's what we think heaven is going to be. Everyone's going to be like us, our characteristics. But John says, we're, there is still diversity in heaven. People are, are different in heaven. What unites us is not that we're all the same. What unites us is that we all worship Christ. And the difference in our diversity from now to then is that now our diversity divides us. Now our diversity separates us. Now our diversity causes us to want to one-up each other, to say, we're right, you're wrong. And in heaven, there will be a totally different mindset about diversity, about our differences. You know, in heaven, it won't, we won't look at each other and say, well, if you want to think that way, you can. If you want to be stupid, go ahead, you know, do what you want. Like we sometimes do now. In heaven, our diversity, our differences will be like the joining together of different voices into a choir. Solos are awesome. But what our ear yearns for is the harmony of different parts coming together. That's what we love. That's what stirs our souls, the harmony of voices. And you can't have harmony if everyone's singing the same note. It's like a mosaic that one piece by itself doesn't seem to, to fit the picture. It's only when these diverse pieces are put together that the image has life and meaning and purpose. And that's a part of our worship. And I think it's imperative for us to understand that the kingdom is not about me. The kingdom is about us. The kingdom is not about trying to convince people to think the way we do. The kingdom is about all of us bringing our gifts, our abilities, our perspectives together in a united worship of Christ. That's what it'll be in that day. Why would it be any different for us in this day? It's one of the reasons I love when we take communion by intinction and we all walk to the front and we get to watch each other receive the sacrament and we see all the diversity of who we are, all the different ways that that we have lived, our cultural backgrounds, our, our national backgrounds, our, our different ways of thinking about life and even the church. We bring this all together as we as one come and receive the sacrament. And it reminds us that despite all of our diversity, we are one in Christ if our focus is Christ. This image that John gives to us, it's difficult to understand. 
People through the centuries have tried to explain it. People make charts and graphs and, and all kinds of things as you move through the, 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 the images that, God, that, that John gives us. But at the heart of it all, the heart of all of it is worship. And at the heart of who we are as the people of God is worship. Let's come and eat at the table, surrendering ourselves to Christ, to each other. Surrendering ourselves to God in worship. Holy Father, we thank you for the image you have given us of your eternal kingdom. There's so much we don't understand, but the one thing we do understand is that you created us to worship so that we might experience the fullness of your love for us and your grace to us and to know what it means to truly live. Father, this morning we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing and your spirit on the bread and the cup. We pray, Father, that it will be food for our souls, that it will unite us together as your children, and that it will be our affirmation and our call to worship. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As I mentioned this morning, we were were receiving communion by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we do have trays of bread and cups and we are happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. We also have gluten-free wafers and uh, cups of juice. If that is an issue, just let me know as you come to the front and I will serve you those. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to worship Him, 
and to be in fellowship with his children, then come, receive these gifts from his loving, gracious, merciful hands.
Stand for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.